You're listening to the Harbor Worship Center podcast with Pastor Mike Saint. For more information about the Harbor Worship Center, please visit us at harborwc.com. Enjoy today's message. Amen. God bless you and welcome to the Harbor Worship Center. Thank you for being here on this Sunday after Easter. Amen. I'm telling you, God just blessed us more than we could possibly believe last year. Uh, well, last year, last Sunday, and well, last year for that matter too. But uh, nonetheless, I remember back in October, we went to the planning retreat and we, we shared with all of our leaders <clears throat> what God was doing. And I don't know, I'll give you a little quick history. Three years ago on Easter, we did about 450. Last year, we did 579. And then we went to the planning retreat and I told the folks, because we was running about 350 at that time on Sunday, I said, we're going to shoot for 750 because we've been trying to double the last five years and we've succeeded in it uh, on Easter Sunday, double the regular morning service attendance. And uh, guys looked at me and the staff did. And I, I was really kind of wondering myself if I bit off too much, you know, and I said 750, that's a little bit more than. And uh, we sort of scratched our head. But nonetheless, we went after it with everything in us. And we had 890 people here last Sunday. 890 people. We ought to give God praise for that. Next Easter, we'll go over a 1,000. Are you with me? Say amen. That's right. And so God is doing some incredible and amazing things in the house, and I'm excited about that. And so I need to dive right in. I know we started a brand new series last week called Scandalous. And and let me say this. If you were with us last week and you hadn't got any, uh, if you haven't received any mail from us yet, and you may have or you may not, but we had stacks and stacks. We had 50 first-time families that showed up. Not just just first-time guests, but 50 first-time families. So that's an incredible amount of work to get done and to follow up, but I promise you it's coming. So we're going to have a great time. We launched a brand new series entitled Scandalous, and I want to give you the definition of scandalous again because I I was even a little worried about the title because it it seems to have so much baggage with it. But scandalous is literally something that causes public outcry or outrage due to the perceived offense against morality or law. One more time to help you out. Scandalous is something that, that happens that causes a public outcry or outrage of the public due to their perception of the law having been broken. Whether it's the moral law, whether it's family law, whether it's whatever it is, it's public outcry because someone sees something in the wrong light or it's the way they perceive it. And then I would submit to you as I did last week that that the entire life of Jesus, as I started trying to mull this over and flesh it out on paper and big tablets and all of that, writing what I wanna say and what God wants me to say more importantly, I got thinking, I said, man, the whole life of Jesus was a scandal because everywhere he went, it was a public outrage. It was an outcry. I mean, if he did good and that's all he ever did, then the people created a ruckus. If he fed the 5,000, they created a ruckus. Uh, If he did good on the Sabbath, seven miracles he did on the Sabbath, and they got mad because he healed people on the Sabbath. If he raised somebody from the dead, they got mad because he raised them from the dead. If, if he forgave sins, they said, who is he to forgive sins? If he said, I've come to do the will of my father, they said, Where are you? who is your father? Your father is Joseph, the carpenter. And he says, well, on my mother's side. <laughs> are y'all with me? Uh, I mean, on the earthly side. 
but I have a heavenly father. And then he would say things like, I am here to do the will of him who sent me. And that just, they couldn't grasp it. It just, and, and the people that really had trouble with him, I hate to tell you all this, but it was the church. The, the church of that day, the people who kept the temple, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious right of the day, that's the ones that he took a whip to and, and just drove them out of the temple because he said, my Lord's house shall be called a house of prayer, not, not a den of thieves and all that. So it seems like to me, and I, I could run down the review of last week a, a lot, but I better not. It seemed like there was always some sort of outcry or outrage about Jesus, what he said, who he was, where he's from, what he's done, where he said he's going, who he said he's gonna send, the Holy Spirit, y'all with me? And it just never did quite meet the fancy or the expectations of the people. And I would say to you that some of the things Jesus wants to do today is scandalous in the Lord's church because we're so steeped in tradition. Jesus said, but now, and now listen, I, I, I'm in a wonderful position to talk like that because you guys are with me in reaching the harvest for the Lord in this generation. But there are those who take the tradition of men and make that the commandment of God. And Jesus said, that ought not be. So today, I want to talk with you about the scandal of redemption. The scandal of redemption. Now, it caused public outcry when Jesus would say, your sins are forgiven you. And then a paralyzed man got up. Whoa, whoa, whoa wait, wait, wait a minute. And, and, and people confuse that. Wait a minute, you're healing him in one voice and yet saying you've forgiven him. And what the Lord is simply saying is they're tied together, really. Uh, he says, yeah, I know. You see, the outward physical miracle of a lame man walking, all that did was brought the light of, uh, to the people about who Jesus was so that they could get their sins forgiven. Amen, it's never about necessarily the physical healing. It always has to do with the soul first. Let me go on. But Jesus, his name caused public outcry. It caused the most ridicule. Everywhere he went, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? And who is this that could do such things? And the people just could not handle the way the Lord talked. They could not handle the way he conducted himself. Let me show you. He would say something like in John 14 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they couldn't get it. Are y'all with me? I am the way. In other words, he seemed to be like some leader of a cult, some leader of a sect, if you will. Someone that's just saying, hey, y'all, look at me. Here's the real deal, though. He had the goods to back up what he said. Huh? No other religious leader ever took him on the mountain of transfiguration and saw the heavens open up and bright white, uh, uh, a light so bright they could not even look upon it. And God himself from his throne saying, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. Nobody else ever had Moses come back from the dead and Elijah come back and all of that going on. Nobody else ever had that kind of stuff. And Jesus would charge his disciples, don't tell anybody about this. Why? It's a scandal enough already. People are having a hard time believing who I am. They don't want to believe who he is. And then he would say things like in John 15, I am the vine uh, and my father is the gardener. Uh, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that bears no fruit or that does bear fruit, he prunes it and so it'll even bear more fruit. And he talked in such stories, they couldn't get it. 
They would try to trap him and then he would tell a story and make them be the villain in the story. You know, I wish I had time to tell you a bunch of them and we will before it's over, but for, for today, it's this scandal of redemption. What is redemption anyway? To redeem something, for instance, if you went down to the pawn shop and let's just say you had an Xbox and you went in there and pawned it for $40 or $50 and they gave you some money. Well, you know the pawn shop interest is probably about 30% if I'm guessing right, but nonetheless, you're gonna go back to get it and you're gonna pay them uh, the $40 plus the interest to get it back with, within that 30-day period or whatever. In other words, you're going back to redeem what's yours. Are y'all hearing me? You're going back with a ticket that says if I pay $40 plus the interest, I can redeem my Xbox. And so what you understand is that you and I had gotten in trouble. Huh? We had basically sold ourselves out to the devil. Now you and I, we, we didn't do it, but we're just as bad. The blood runs through us just like it did Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve was in the Garden of Eden and everything was perfect and there was no intention of dying, if you will. Everything was lush and green and beautiful and, and the fruits would grow and the grass would grow and they didn't have to have ammonia nitrate and 10, 10, 10 and 5, 10, 15 and all the fertilizer and everything. They didn't, no, no, it just happened. Man, you could have seen apples huh, and tomatoes. Lord have mercy. It was just crazy. But, but, but something happened. The Lord says in that day, you can have everything in this whole garden. You can have uh, all of it. You can have the fruits, the vegetables, the herbs, the spices, the animals, the fish. You can have it all, but you cannot have anything off my tree. Are you with me? You cannot have anything off this tree. And that tree literally represented a tithe back then. God said, you can have all of this, but you cannot touch this. This is mine. And of course, you know the story that the serpent, uh, representing Satan, he comes to Eve, and then he shares with her some, some lies. And tell, did God say you cannot have it in the tree? And God just knows you're gonna be smart as he is. And he's really keeping you from real good stuff. That's what it is. And that's how the devil comes to us. God's holding back on you. And so she saw the fruit and she looked on the fruit and, and it was good to the eyes and good, it seemed to her, to make one wise. So she took the fruit and she did eat it. And then she gave to her husband and he did eat also. Now, prior to that, God would come down and walk in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve would walk with God and talk with God and, and just have a good conversation. But because of that, that eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, guess what? Now, their eyes are opened. Hey, you, you, you know what it is to have a child in that age of innocence. When the child, they walk around without, you know, a diaper on or something, nobody, you know, it's no big deal to them because they don't know no shame. And, you know, uh, it's that age of innocence. They walk outside like that and don't matter to them because they don't know any better yet. But as you get a little bit older and you, you begin to share some things with them and talk to them, and I would hope by the time they reach you know, middle school or something like that, or even on the, up in the elementary school, they're not, they're not gonna go walk out in the front yard like that without their clothes on. Because that's just unacceptable. Are y'all with me? Say amen. That their eyes are open. Somebody, mom or dad or grandparents or somebody say, hey, you can't do that no more. You done got too old for that. And what happened is now because of eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, mankind looked down and said, oh my Lord, I'm naked. 
Because before that, they were in the age of innocence. It didn't matter. They looked at each other, and it was no big deal. That's just the way God created them, and you know, that's how it is. And, um, but all of a sudden, he looks at Eve and says, oh, oh, oh. I don't know if they blushed or they were embarrassed. She looked at him and, oh, my goodness. And, and then they ran to some, a fig tree and they began to get leaves and the vines and tied leaves and made themselves clothes. And that evening they heard God come walking through the garden and, 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 they, and they said, oh, oh, it's God. Let's go hide. Let's go hide. And he says, Adam, where art thou? Adam, where art there? And all, all this. And finally, he says, I was, uh, I was afraid and I was naked. And I hid myself, and watch this, God un uncovers this. He says, um, who told you you were naked? I've not revealed that to you. I hadn't given you anything, no knowledge about that. And, and he says, uh, you know, he begins to, you know, he says, where are you? He says, have you eaten of the tree that I told you couldn't eat? What have you done? Oh, there's four questions that everybody ought to ask themselves. And I wish I had time to preach that, but I don't. But nonetheless, he says, have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat of? He said, the woman that you gave me to be my helper, she gave me the food and I ate it. He turned to the woman, is this what you did? Well, the serpent that you created beguiled me and he, he kind of set me up and really God, it's really your fault, you know, because Adam says it's Eve, you gave her to me and Eve says it's the snake because you created him and there he is and he was slicker than me and the truth of the matter is, is you did what God said not to do. And so bottom line is we turn it right back on God and say, God, it's really your fault. So the righteousness of God demanded judgment upon sin, disobedience. And because of that, there was a, it's called the fall of man. If you look that up, we'll find then the fall of man had deep and far-reaching ramifications. You see, the Bible tells me this, because they're our grandparents way on up line, then we are born in sin and shaping and iniquity. When David said, I was born in sin and shaping and iniquity, that doesn't mean he was an illegitimate child or his mother wasn't married to his father. That simply means the blood that flows through me is tainted. It is sinful blood. I am born in sin. I have inherited this because of the fall of man. So we are born in this condition now, I understand there's an age of innocence, uh, you know, uh, in, in children under that. I get all that. But all, Romans 3 and 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Here's the deal. Man's greatest problem was that we are or were and still are estranged from God and can no longer, our forefathers, Adam and Eve, could no longer exist with God. You know what death is? Death is being separated from God. And the Bible says that the Lord brought a cherub angel, a guardian angel, and he set Adam and Eve outside of the Garden of Eden. Let's say the stage is the garden. He set them outside, and he placed a cherub angel there with a flaming sword to make sure they could never come back to the paradise of God to this garden of Eden, this tranquil place, this wonderful place where sin had, had uh, or, or ruin and death never had before. But now because of the fall of man, you know that man is cursed and in the sweat of his brow, he'll till the ground. The ground is cursed that thorns and thistles infest the ground now. And man will till the ground and the earth will not yield its strength. That's why we gotta have all the chemicals and all of this. And women in conception and childbirth, it's gonna hurt now, it's not supposed to. God didn't intend it to, but it does. And it's a reminder of the pain of sin. 
Are y'all with me? I know I'm talking about a scandal of redemption. I know it seems crazy that God wants to redeem us, but indeed he does. Can I tell you this? The greatest need for mankind was a savior because we had been disfellowshipped from God. We, we could not do anything for ourselves. We didn't have the money to buy back our relationship. We didn't have the price. We didn't have anything to satisfy the righteous judgment of God. So after the fall, they became aware and they became ashamed. Uh, God is now hidden from them. And only through Christ can that fellowship be restored because in him we are made as righteous and sinless in the eyes of God as if Adam and Eve were before they sinned. Listen, 2 Corinthians 5 and uh, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, uh, because of the fall, death came about. Physical, no, first of all, spiritual death. God put them out of his garden. Separation from God is death. It's a spiritual death. That's what hell will ultimately be. That is what the lake of fire will ultimately be, being cast forever away from the presence of God. But not only was spiritual death a result of the fall of man, but physical death was a result of the fall of man. Now every animal would die. Now every man, every woman, every child, now every one of us would die. Now the, the trees will die. Now everything will die because the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life so our greatest need is that we have somebody that has enough money somebody that has enough sacrifice somebody with enough passion somebody with enough zeal for the creation of God to buy us back because we've sold our soul to the devil not intentionally the devil baited them along and listen you can't talk with him you can't reason with him because he's been at this a long time you you cannot talk you see uh, he will dupe you if you're not very careful but not just a physical death but it's a spiritual death and worse still not only do we die but we die without Christ and dying is not so bad but to die without Christ is eternally bad you see um we experience eternal death because of the fall. We lost sight of uh, why we were created. You know, before that, we understood it was to have fellowship with God. It was to exalt him and to extol him and to magnify him. We are the highest creation that he ever created, made in the image of God. And that's what God created us to be and we're supposed to love him, we're supposed to honor him. But because of the delusion of sin, because of what's happened in the garden and because of uh, disobeying God and sin coming upon us, now we lose sight of the purpose uh, for which we were created. And so what we do rather than focus on him, uh, the image in which we are made, the imago Dei, the image of God, instead of focusing on him, we turn everything 180 degrees and we focus on us. Are y'all hearing me? You see, it's always about 180. 
It's about an about face. When you're running towards sin, when you get saved, you turn around and you run toward God. And see, when we were living with God, we were turned toward his face. We were worshiping him. We were created for this purpose. But when sin came, it turned us away from him because we could not dwell in his presence. He could not look upon sin. And for thousands of years, God is estranged from his chief creation. Now, Jesus, some of y'all think Jesus came about in Bethlehem. Jesus was with God prior to. Are y'all here? Jesus took upon himself the form of a servant and came as a babe in the manger. Isaiah prophesied that 720 years before it happened. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, and he'll save his people from their sin, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And Micah, I believe it would say, the scepter would never depart from his hand. And he talked about all of that, but Jesus was with God before coming to the earth. So, so this great dilemma we have is that we're lost. We, we've been sold, and maybe it was unintentional, but we've sold ourselves out, at least Adam and Eve did. And so guess what? It goes down the family line, and everybody born after them has that sin upon us. Y'all with me? Everybody has that same inherited sin. And so... So there has to be a way to, to get a hold of God. There's got to be a way to demonstrate how much I love my people that are lost. I can't go dwell among them. I can't fellowship with them because I can't look on sin. I, the judgment or the justice of God would not allow me. The holiness of God would not allow me to come. But Jesus says, in fact, the word says that in Romans 5 and 8, that, oh, let me go look at five and six. He says, you see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, cry, powerless. In other words, we didn't have the money if it would be money, and it wouldn't be. We didn't have the sacrifice. We, we didn't have the wherewithal to go to, to God and say, I want to pay for the iniquity. We had no, no means for, uh, to, to buy back what we had lost. It's impossible. We were powerless. But Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7 says, Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still, somebody say still, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still, see, not only are we all guilty of sin, not only are we all guilty of the offense against God, none of us have the means. None of us have what it takes to satisfy the righteous wrath of the Almighty God. So if Jesus don't come, if Jesus don't redeem us, we are forever lost. The creation of God, the highest order created, is forever lost if he don't come. So listen, uh, it's important for you to understand that. It's important to know that we fell way back then. Mankind was lost. And the reason to understand that is because it is upon us. We owed something that we could not pay. We're in over our head. But the most quoted scripture in all of scripture is John 3, 16. 
for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What is that? You know what that is? That's the ransom price. That's the price of uh, redeeming us buying us back, not just Ashley, but, but me too, and AJ, and Ramona, and uh, listen, that, that's what it is, that, that it would be the price to redeem a fallen world. Mankind, every man, every woman, every boy, everyone who's ever opened the womb, everyone that came forth for every sin in the world, Jesus said, I'll go. That whoever believes in him should not perish. Listen, you should not. You don't have to. But still there are those who do. But have everlasting life. Colossians 1 and 13 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us up into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Galatians 4 and 4 says, But when the set time had come, fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might... Uh, receive the adoption to sonship. Redemption speaks of price. Redemption speaks of money. It, but how much? You see. It speaks of uh, giving up something valuable for something more desirable. You see, the look at the life of Jesus Christ, so valuable, but he says, I'll give this up for something even more desirable, and that is that my people that Father created would not perish forever and be eternally uh, separate from God. I'll tell you something. Jesus was standing there with God when he created Adam and Eve. Jesus said, or God said, come and let us, uh-huh, a plural pronoun, let us make man in our image. He was there. And so he says, I'll go and I'll redeem them. Now let me tell you about a story in the Bible. I'm all have to paraphrase this because time has a way of getting by. There's a fellow, you can read it in Luke 23. Uh, there's a number of, all the gospels cover it, but, but just suffice it to say, Luke 23, we find a, 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 a story, a true story of Jesus on trial before Pilate. He had been uh, to Caiaphas already, the high priest. He had been to Pilate. Pilate heard he was from Galilee, so he sent him to Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee. Herod and him had had bad blood, but now this day they got together and become friends because of this. Herod had hoped Jesus would do some great miracle, but he wouldn't do it and all that. Well, anyway, he goes from Caiaphas to Pilate to Herod and back to Pilate. So now he's with, in front of Pilate, and, and Pilate really don't want to execute him. He don't want to kill him. But, but uh, he knows, uh, he said, there's a way out. And there's a prisoner here for murder and one for sedition and an uprising, this thug of a guy by the name of Barabbas. He says, I can offer to release this man to the people uh, or this Jesus. And guess what? Here's the indictment of Jesus. He says he's king of Jews. He heals people. He, he, he uh, helps people. He feeds people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So common sense would be the people's gonna say, give me this guy. This is who we like walking on our streets but as corrupt and crazy as our world today, they said, give unto us Barabbas. We would rather have this murderer walk our streets among our children. We'd rather have this guy for sedition and heresy and all, we'd rather have him than we had Jesus. It's an amazing thing that they would be so duped and so stupid. But we need to make the right choice. 
I want you to see a video right now and I want you to pay particular attention. It's a riveting video. It'll grab you at your heart. Watch this and then we'll pray. We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? Let's, this is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is, this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. He leads a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free, open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper? What, what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We want Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. People say, give us Barabbas. The Roman soldiers come up and they put the key in and they unlock Barabbas from his chains and shackles. And he walks down the platform, welcomed by all of his thug friends. Yeah. People love me. Yeah, that's right. I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but all I know is my people love me. There seems to be no conscience in Barabbas. There's no record of him turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now, for you have set me free. No, I don't see any of that in Barabbas. And God knew that. Jesus stood there, silent for he knew the will of the Father. He said, it's fine, Father. Let him have Barabbas. For Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free. No, 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 no. It was the love of the Heavenly Father. When I look at the story, I realize who Barabbas really is. for Barabbas. 
even the one he knew would walk away from Jesus and his free gift and never come back. He loves them. And the nerve, the call, the audacity of believers to think, I got saved by grace, but now that I'm in this deep, dark place of bondage, I'm going to work hard to get myself out. What? That's the opposite of the gospel. Are you bound? Are you held under the power of this temptation, this sin? Do you feel like it's controlling you? What are you going to do? I'm going to shake myself free. Stop it! No, you won't! You're no match for the powers of hell and the urges of sin. You will not overcome it and you will never overcome it. You'll just be another statistic. There's no answer within yourself. Your own marriage, your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion will not save your marriage and will not save your kids. There's only one. And he's the one that took your place. He's the one that stood silently on the platform with Pilate and said, yes, let him have Barabbas. Take me. How many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate and Jesus and I'm the Barabbas and they start to take my chains off and I say, no, no, I deserve this. I deserve the guilt. I deserve the shame. I deserve the consequence. I deserve it. Jesus seems to look at me and say, no, son. Let me have it. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain. No, God, I did it to myself. I deserve it. My marriage won't make it. This is what I deserve. I deserve divorce. I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve it all. No! So shame, give me your shame. But God, what if I do it again? I'll still be here. Oh God, I don't want to hurt you. I love you. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Give me your sins. This is all we got. It's all I got. It's all you got. We can play games, we can play church games. We can pretend like some people are better than others and that's why they're blessed. Or we can all come to the honest conclusion that it's God. And it's God alone. The greatest challenge is not your discipline, your devotion, your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Could it be that there's a God with a love so scandalous so wide, so deep, so vast, so high, so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive. Let me have your sin, son. Okay. When I give him my sin, I stand in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I see him, I see him walking supposed to be whipped as I stand a free man all the attention is turned now and I feel the love of God saying go son live your life I'll pay the price where did we get off thinking that we were gonna set 
sustain you through every challenge and every sin and every temptation. Jesus is enough! Stand with me if you will, please. probably watched that thing 10 times so um, one of the things struck me I thought to myself they killed the wrong guy and in our eyes yes because Jesus was innocent but in the plan of God in order to redeem you and I see because we maybe we haven't murdered anybody maybe we didn't do the things that Barabbas did Barabbas. We are guilty of, of, of the same uh, sin, so to speak. I'm not saying the murder, that, but, but sin being sin and what it is and the fall. We are Barabbas. It is us. And as I see Jesus standing there at Pilate's praetorium and, 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 and saying, hearing the people say, give us Barabbas. I noted the fact that Barabbas thought that the people chose him and set him free. When in reality, Jesus standing on the other side of the praetorium is the one that set him free. And then I can't help but think of the picture as Barabbas is unlocked and chains fall off and he begins to scurry out of the crowd. Never a thought to look back at what Jesus has did. I mean, while he goes to live his life, headed to the Via Della Rosa, the way of the cross, to end his. Why? That's the only thing that would pay the price, the blood of Jesus. This is why Peter said, we are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver gold. In other words, we weren't bought back with some money. We weren't bought back with some exchange with that no there wasn't enough money made there wasn't enough he said but we were redeemed with the precious blood of a spotless lamb amen so Isaiah said our sins had separated us from God Romans Paul wrote to us none of us are righteous no not even one no one understands, no one seeks God. But Romans 10, Paul here's, said, here's the Roman road to salvation. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised his son Jesus from the dead. You see, Jesus knew what was going down and he knew that in three days, oh, we had a celebration last week. He knew that he would give his life, that he would shed his blood, but he also knew that in three days he would rise dead and become the first fruits of those that slept paying the redemption price so that you and I though guilty as Barabbas could go free bow with me right now if you would if you're here today and you say pastor I've never quite heard it put like that didn't realize it but I'd like to choose Jesus right now myself I would like to choose Jesus. 
Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at harborwc.com.